You're listening to Mystery Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries, both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the mystery of John Benet Ramsey's tragic murder. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. I'm so happy to be here with all of you. Ah, the sweet life of summer vacation. We have been sleeping in, soaking in the sun, barbecuing. It has been so fun to just kind of reset and spend some quality time with each other. I hope that you are also enjoying the sun as well. Hopefully you have warm weather where you are. We are in the midst of traveling right now, so I'm currently speaking to you from inside of a hotel room, so I can't guarantee the sound quality. Hopefully it's all right. I've sent my husband and my kids away for the next hour or so, so if you do hear any sounds, I can't really do anything about it. Just know it's probably just someone flushing a toilet in another room or people walking down the hall outside. Try not to let it bug you, and I'll try not to let it infuriate me. Today, we are going to be discussing a case that really got me into true crime as a child, most likely because it was probably the most sensationalized case that I can remember becoming really fascinated by. This story was everywhere, TV, news, magazines, newspapers, everyone was talking about it. I was really young when this happened. I want to say I had just turned six, so literally the same age as John Bonet. Um, and so I think that that also piqued my interest. I think that before learning about this John Bonet case, my little six-year-old brain had assumed that only old people died. It had never before occurred to me that kids could die. And I think that that made this case imprint on my mind and soul that much more. In some ways, it was a loss of my sheltered innocence as well. I know you All are probably aching to get started with today's case as it really is so fascinating and captured the attention of a nation. So without further delay, let's begin this horrible, horrible case. On the morning of December 26, 1996, in Boulder, Colorado, which is an affluent suburb of Denver, Colorado, Patsy Ramsey claimed to discover a ransom note pertaining to her six-year-old daughter, John Benet Ramsey, on the back staircase of their home. And, okay, slight detour. I always thought that John Benet was like a French name, but it's actually just like a combo of her husband, like of John Benet's dad's name. His name is Jonathan Benet Ramsey. So they literally just took his first name and his middle name and squished it together and came up with John Benet. But it sounds French, so it's fancy. All right, so after searching for her daughter to see if it was perhaps like a sick prank of some kind, Patsy called the police. At 5.52 a.m., Patsy called the police to report her daughter missing. I'm going to play the infamous 911 phone call for you right now. Please explain to me what's going on, okay? There, we have a, 
The people inside the home at the time of John Bonet's disappearance were her father, John Ramsey, Patsy, and Burke, John Bonet's nine-year-old brother. Strangely enough, John Bonet's lifeless body was found less than eight hours later, and even more disturbing was the fact that her body was discovered inside of the family home in the utility room in the basement. John Bonet was found by her very own father. She was found with duct tape over her mouth and a smooth cord wrapped around her neck. It's unfortunate that much of the crime scene had become contaminated by the hordes of guests invited in by the Ramses to help them search for their daughter. The police also admit that they dropped the ball. You see, when police arrived at the Ramses, John Bonet's parents came out to greet them with the ransom letter. Due to the contents of the letter, police determined it would be pointless to even search for John Bonet in the home as the note made it seem like she had been taken to a second location. At the time of her death, John Bonet was a heavily accoladed pageant performer. She had won multiple competitions. Her death was ruled a homicide. The autopsy later performed on little John Bonet reported that she had been bludgeoned to death but another coroner said he believed John Bonet had been strangled to death with the cord. There were strands of DNA found on John Bonet's pajamas and underwear that have yet to be determined. And I know what you're thinking, what kind of DNA are we talking about? And it's not that kind of DNA. All right, you know what I mean. I don't have to like spell it out. It's not that kind. Anyways, they do know that it belonged to an unidentified male. There were two sets of unidentified footprints in the home. There was also rope in John Bonet's room that didn't belong to any of the Ramses. The police dropped the ball again as the rope was never even tested until 2006. One thing that is important to know is that the footprints that are unidentified were found inside the home. In fact, there were no footprints outside of the home whatsoever and no sign of forced entry which just seems to scrape the tip of the iceberg in a slew of weird situations, like things pertaining to this case. Let's learn a little bit more about this ransom note. Here's part of it. Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. 
you will withdraw $118,000 from your bank account, $100,000 in $100 bills, and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attache to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be well-rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you earlier to arrange an earlier delivery. Okay, so the note requests $118,000, and that is a bit weird that it's so specific. And we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. Also, the vernacular of the note seems very cartoonish, almost the way someone who has never participated in actual crime, but has seen like a crime movie would write one. Um, Also, a lot of the easier words in this ransom letter are misspelled. Like, let me see, what word? Uh, Like represent was misspelled and possession was misspelled but the word attache was spelled perfectly even with like the little accent on the e so that's a little weird uh the letter continues the two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you so i advise you to not provoke them speaking to anyone about your situation such as police or fbi will result in your daughter being beheaded You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law countermeasures. You have a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us, but you have a 100% chance of getting your daughter back alive if you follow our instructions. The letter was signed SBTC, which you might have recalled from the phone call that I posted. Um, Initials that have never been figured out to this day. They have no idea what SBTC means. Another curious fact is that the amount of money requested from the Ramseys, $118,000. This is like literally the exact amount that John Ramsey had recently received as a bonus that year. However, the most chilling fact of the ransom note wasn't that it threatened to be head the young girl, but that the ransom note had actually been written using the pen and paper right off of John Ramsey's own desk, as police later found rough drafts of the note discarded in his office trash bin. While this detail is horrifying, it does start to question the validity of the letter. This would indicate that a person entered the Ramsey home, walked to the office, spent a significant amount of time concocting this letter, probably like 30 to 40 minutes, before walking upstairs and kidnapping their daughter out of their room and then killed her. All of this occurring while the other Ramsey family members were inside of the home and sleeping. Some believe that this adds up to the letter being a hoax. But let's get into the suspects of this case. First, Let's just address the elephant in the room, the Ramseys themselves. The Ramsey family was under heavy scrutiny because of the questionable nature of the ransom letter and also because there was no evidence that any type of intruder had actually broken into their home. According to a recent TV program, police theorized that Patsy accidentally killed John Bonet. That same program also speculated that Burke Ramsey may have accidentally killed her as well. For this to be the case, this would have meant that 
John Bonet wasn't strangled, but there is evidence that suggests that JB was still alive when she was strangled, and you can't really accidentally strangle someone to death. I mean, it is possible that maybe she was accidentally harmed to the point where they thought she was dead, and then to fake it, they strangled her when they already thought she was dead, but the strangulation is actually what killed her. I don't know. That's like the only way I can get it to make sense. Handwriting analysis ruled out John Ramsey, John Bonet's father, as the person who wrote the note, but it could not indefinitely clear Patsy. Basically, the results of that test were that it was inconclusive. In 2013, it came out that in 1999, a grand jury had voted in favor of John Bonet's parents being indicted on charges of child abuse resulting in death, but this vote was never carried out due to fruition. Why was that? Alex Hunter, the DA at the time, did not sign the indictment papers as he believed there was not enough evidence to convict the Ramses. But it should be noted that Alex Hunter and the Ramses were friends ran in similar social circles of the affluent and wealth of Boulder, Colorado. Furthermore, evidence from the crime scene supposedly exonerated every member of the family. Our next suspect is a man named Bill McReynolds, who had visited the Ramsey's home two days earlier. He had actually been hired by the Ramsey's to play Santa Claus for their neighborhood family party. Coincidentally, Bill's own daughter had been kidnapped in 1974. Uh, his wife had written a play about a child who had been molested and then was murdered in the basement, which... No one wants to see that play. That's a terrible idea for a play. The Denver Post reported that Bill once said, quote, her death was harder than my operation, referring to his uh, heart operation. Her death caused a huge change in me, end quote. He reportedly even brought a vial of glitter gifted to him by John Bonet into his heart surgery for good luck. The gift had been incredibly meaningful to him as no child had ever offered him a gift in all of his years playing Santa Claus. He even made his wife promise that if he died during his heart surgery, that she would mix the glitter in with his ashes, which is very, very weird. Is he the murderer? Maybe, maybe not. Is he a weird guy? Yes, absolutely yes. The next suspect is Gary Oliva, a neighbor who lived down the street from John Bonet. In 2016, Gary was arrested on charges of child pornography. In December 2000, he was arrested on drug charges. When he was apprehended in 2000, a photo of John Bonet was found in his backpack. He tried to explain why. He told the Denver Post, quote, John Bonet's murder touched me very deeply. I felt she was an exceptional girl whose death was an exceptional loss. I felt the need to build a monument, a shrine, to remember this little girl. End quote. This guy is very, very sus. A high school friend of Oliva named Michael Vale told InTouch magazine that he received a call from Oliva the day after John Bonet was found and said, quote, I hurt a little girl. I hurt a little girl, end quote. According to Vale, Oliva told him he had hurt a little girl in Boulder, Colorado, and then he just hung up. 
if this phone call really happened, it's very damning to Oliva because police records indicate that no other little girl was reported harmed in the Boulder area during this time. I mean, I suppose it's always possible that a little girl was harmed and it went unreported, but I find it very interesting that he was found carrying a picture of John Bonet in his backpack four years later when he was arrested, almost like some sort of a trophy or a way for him to look at the person he had harmed. Also, why did he want to build a shrine for her? That's very, very weird. Vale also revealed that Oliva had attempted to strangle his own mother in a similar fashion to the way that John Bonet had been found to be strangled. I don't know why this isn't being taken more seriously, but then again, this case was very sensationalized, so I imagine magazines were probably paying money to people who would um, accept to do an interview with them. But just like the Santa Claus, Oliva's DNA did not match the DNA that was found on John Bonet. Another suspect is John Mark Carr, a divorced father and school teacher. In 2006, Carr confessed to Michael Tracy via email in, in his part of JonBenet's death. Tracy kept in contact with him for four years to build sort of like a rapport and a trust with Carr. Tracy later said, quote, you are reading and hearing a truly dark side of the human psyche and having to pretend it's okay that I wasn't going to sit in judgment because otherwise that communication would have stopped. It was by far the worst experience of my life. It was horrible, end quote. He basically had to pretend to be a sicko nasty man to keep this disgusting man's trust. In his emails, Carr used similar verbiage that was found in the ransom letter. At one point, Carr used Patsy's nickname while referring to her. Um, it was Nettie. And it was bizarre that he would even know that Nettie was her nickname when she was like in high school and stuff. So it, it's just super weird. Carr confessed that he was in love with John Bonet and that he had killed John Bonet by hitting her in the head with a flashlight. Here is some of that email. He says, She of course was asleep from the time that she was, that I took her from her bed and took her in the basement. Her first reaction was, quote, where am I, end quote. And I said, quote, you're in the basement, end quote. She wasn't in that little room to be disgraced, and I would never disgrace her or dishonor her. She was there temporarily. And what really hurts me is that she stayed there, and that's where her father found her. It's just a horrible thing, end quote. On August 16th, 2008, with the help of Homeland Security, they were able to track down Carr in Thailand. Um, he had escaped the United States after being, like, a warrant for his arrest had gotten released for more child pornography charges. When he was brought back to Boulder, the current DA at the time apologized to the Ramseys and stated that no one in the Ramsey family is considered a suspect any longer. Carr's DNA also did not match the DNA found on JonBenet, so he was not charged with her death. But he was arrested and charged with the child pornography charges, and he is still being considered in her murder. Um, he was available for parole in 2020, and I don't know if he was released. Should we look that up right now? I think we should. Yes, let's look it up. Okay. Michael Carr. Oh, wait. I feel like he has like one of those three doesn't he have like one of those three people three first name things oh john mark Carr. okay that's why i can't find him 
John Mark Carr. Now. <gasps> he was let free. No! Oh my gosh, the sicko is on the loose. All right. Um, so he's still being considered in the murder because he always said he did not act alone. And this is evident by the two sets of footprints that were found inside of the home. But the DA at the time of John Bonet's murder, Mark Beckner, claims that within 18 hours, he basically knew that Carr was full of shit. They said through routine checking, they were able to determine that Carr wasn't even in Colorado on the night of the murder. So basically, he's a sick SOB, but he's not the murder SOB. I also want to mention two other theories that are floating around in the ether because I'd be remiss if I didn't. I do want to mention that there's no proof of either of these people that I'm going to mention, um, but I do find the theories interesting, and so we'll discuss them a little bit. Okay, so another suspect is possibly Jeffrey Epstein. I think we all know about this sicko, but just in case you've been living under a rock, Jeffrey Epstein ran a child sex ring before his untimely death in prison. Some claim he took his own life while others feel it was an inside job or a cover-up. At first, this theory seems a bit far-fetched, but the theory is gaining in popularity as a photo was recently released of the last pageant that John Bonet was involved in. In the background of the photo, you see a woman who is similar in appearance to Jeffrey Epstein's lackey and secondhand woman, Ghislaine Maxwell. I'll try and find the picture and I'll post it on my Instagram page. The last theory is controversial to say the least. Some people believe that the murder or accidental murder, I would say, was committed by Burke, John Bonet's older brother. And I kind of touched about that in the TV show, like the TV program that was recently released. Um, so some people feel like Burke, um, Burke accidentally killed John Bonet, and then the murder was covered up by the Ramsey parents because they worried Burke would be taken away from them. I can sort of see why people believe this to be the case. Burke and uh, John Bonet apparently did not really have a very good relationship at the time of their death. Supposedly, um, Burke was acting out by smearing his feces all over John Bonet's thing. Um, and then some people claim that he was jealous of the attention that John Bonet was receiving by becoming famous in the pageant world. Apparently, the contents of John Bonet's stomach were that of pineapple. And when police came to the home, there was a half-eaten bowl of pineapple on the kitchen table. Some people theorize that Burke had come downstairs for an early morning snack. He had gotten his pineapple for himself. He was all about ready to enjoy it. And then it's believed John Bonet heard him and came down. And while Burke wasn't looking, that maybe she possibly ate some of his pineapple. And then in a rage, he grabbed a flashlight or perhaps a toy train and struck her on the head. He didn't, he wouldn't have meant to kill her. Um, but then he told his parents who came down and tried to cover it up by creating a fake ransom note. And that's why like, there were rough drafts in the trash or whatever, and they were unaware that children could not face charges for an accidental death, but then, because they tampered with evidence pertaining to the crime, then they were forced to keep it a secret because then they, they could have gotten in trouble for tampering with the scene. And that's how the theory goes anyway. If Burke didn't do it, I feel really bad that this theory might be ruining his life. I know that he is very private. And I mean, if this was happening to me and I didn't do it, I would be private too. 
Um, if he did do it, I still feel bad for him because he was only nine at the time. And I truly don't think that whatever his intent was, was that I don't think he meant to kill her. You know what I mean? So I feel bad if he did. I feel bad if he didn't. While it may have been Burke, I'm not 100% keen to believe it just yet. I feel like there are some other suspects that we discussed today that have really strong merit to them. I mean, who could forget about that creepy Santa and that pedophile backpack man and the disgusting elementary school teacher who literally said that he was in love with John Bonet and fled the country. I mean, that's huge. Dr. Henry Lee, the DNA expert used in the O.J. Simpson case, claimed that the trace amount of DNA found on JonBenet's underwear most likely has nothing to do with her murder and is more likely from the manufacturer plant, like the factory that made the underwear. And Dr. Henry Lee proved this theory by testing an unopened bag of underwear from China or Japan that also contained the same amount of trace DNA that was found on JonBenet's clothing and underwear. So this makes the case even more open-ended than we thought because they were using that trace DNA to rule out so many people. And now it's possible that that DNA evidence may just have been a red herring this whole time. So clearing people when they shouldn't have been cleared. This case really hits me close to home. I think not only because I was six years old when John Monet died. John Monet was born on August 6, 1990. I was born on August 26, 1990. So we were literally only 20 days apart in age. So I feel very connected to her in that sense that we were like the similar age. And then I also feel deep, this this case hits differently because I now am the current mother of a six-year-old. So there's a lot of layers to this onion of all of my feelings regarding this case. I do hope that one day we will find out what really happened to John Benet Ramsey. If I don't find out in this lifetime, I hope that in the afterlife I can walk up to her and ask her what happened to her and let her know that there were a lot of people down here that were very, very curious about her case and really wanted justice for her. Um, yeah, I don't know if we'll ever know. I feel like maybe the evidence had been tampered with too much. Also, like a lot of the Ramsey family members are passing away and you, you know how it is when you have an unsolved case and then family members pass away and then there's nobody really pushing for answers. So yeah, it's just, it's definitely like a heart-wrenching case all around. I mean, this little girl was six years old and I look at my six-year-old and I think she just wanted to play. She had her whole life ahead of her. She probably was into like dollhouses and horseback riding and ponies and and I just feel so sad that her life was just cut way too short. Imagine all of the things that she could have accomplished um, if she would have been able to continue to live her life. And this case is just, it's just awful. And while I hope that one day we do get resolution, I mean, I feel like the the chances of that happening are a bit fleeting at this point um just because of all the circumstances surrounding the case but i feel like there's always hope we can't let go of the hope and um yeah hopefully one day this case is solved i i really truly hope that one day what do you make of it all i know it's a lot it's a lot of information um but let me know by posting on my instagram at mystery still unsolved i put up a post i want to hear your 
thoughts, theories, opinions, and comments. I love reading them. Thank you all for your support. Today, I would love to ask you a tiny, tiny, tiny favor. Please tell someone about my podcast today. I would love to further my reach. I was looking at my data the other day, and I learned that a majority of my listeners are from Washington State. Shout out to Washington. And one uh, place that really surprised me is that it seems I have a huge following in Jamaica. Shout out to my listeners in Jamaica. I love you all. Join me next week when together we'll discover, did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed or is the mystery still unsolved?